We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Napa a Napa guy knows that by the foot, there's no better ride than an old station wagon. Room for six people facing forward, two people facing backward, and a whole lot of luggage, lumber, and bicycles haphazardly strapped to the roof. If you can parallel park that beast, you can park anything. And with some quality parts and a little Napa know-how, you can keep your land ship running longer, stronger. It's not obsolete. It's a rare treasure. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. Welcome to the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast, sponsored by NoHalftime.com. Derek Van Riper here with Tim Heaney, getting ready to preview week two of this NFL season, looking at players we like from a DFS standpoint, some difficult sit starts, some fade potentials, guys that stood out last week that have tougher matches, uh, matchups this week, and of course, we'll talk injuries and the Thursday night game. Actually, it was a pretty exciting Thursday night game, which led to some Friday afternoon drama already in week two. If you listen to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher, could please leave us a review. We would greatly appreciate that, especially if you like the podcast. Uh, Tim, how's it going on this Friday? Oh, it's going well. Actually, uh, today's my birthday, so getting ready to do a couple things later. Uh, but yeah, football, you know, always uh, prevalent on Friday. Happy to talk about that. Nice. Happy birthday, and uh, thanks oh, thank for, for not like taking the day off to, to go drinking with the news team, <laughs> as uh, many people here do when it's their birthday. Uh, so, I mean, it's nice. We'll be out of here probably by 2.30, 3 o'clock Eastern at least, so that opens things up for the week. You get the whole weekend, I guess. That's, that's the upside, having your birthday on a Friday. It basically just opens up an entire weekend for you. Yeah, it's very nice. Uh, Friday night into Saturday is the planned celebration, but who knows with you know what happens tonight in New York City, bail money, etc. So, you know, it could go one way or the other. But I'll uh, I'll be definitely be uh, you know lifting a glass to you guys like as I get over there some somewhere in Manhattan. So oh, indeed, I'll I'll do yeah. the same once I, I make my way out on this Friday night. But uh, let's start talking about last night's game. The Jets Bills much more of a high scoring shootout than anybody would have expected, especially based on the form of those offenses. Uh, just a few days ago on Sunday, 
Jets coming away 37-31 winners. We saw 374 yards through the air from Ryan Fitzpatrick. How about 11 yards per attempt? Uh, he threw one TD pass. It went to Eric Decker, Matt Forte. 30 carries. Bilal Powell had one, for what that's worth. 100 yards for Forte. Three scores on the ground. Brandon Marshall looked like he suffered a bad knee injury. Came back. He was fine. Six for 101. Decker had six for 126. In addition to that score, and even Quincy Inunua, who was a waiver target earlier this week, he was productive. Six for six on targets. 92 yards from Inunua, who I, just, I still don't really trust unless one of Decker or Marshall goes down, but how surprised were you to see the Jets just gash this Buffalo defense through the air like this? Uh, it's a Rex Ryan, Rod Ryan defense, and you know as we've talked about uh, before we going on the air, the Bills did have a few defensive injuries, so that's something that definitely was working in the Jets' favor. Not to say the Jets aren't potent by themselves, but I think that this matchup, uh, I think, kind of... Um, exaggerated, exacerbated uh, the skills that they had and the matchup problems that they posed. I mean, those Bills cornerbacks were just overwhelmed. I mean, that's just that receiving group. And even with the noon one included, um, you know, very, very good physical presence for all three of them. Uh, the Bills don't have the, uh, you know, the, the skills to match up with those guys downfield. You know, the Rob Ryan defenses are very easy to beat if you have a lot of big receivers. And I think that's what we saw last night. And, you know, Fitzpatrick, obviously very comfortable from what he had last year in this offense. And, you know, we, we, we the big guys kind of, like I said, the, the, the physicality just really was more than the Bills could handle. And, and Noon was an interesting guy. I mean, you know, people are looking for that Jets, you know, Jeremy Curley, uh, successor in fantasy, the guy that occasionally pops off. And Nunes had a uh, consistent couple of weeks when it comes to targets, and obviously the Jets don't know what a tight end is, so that goes very good for his uh, future involvement if you need that fourth wide receiver flex type of play. Yeah, they have no interest, it seems, in, in utilizing a tight end, so that does bode well for Nunes as the third receiver. I expect Matt Forte to be more relied upon in pass-catching situations when the Jets are trailing in games, so I, I think that's kind of an outlier that Forte... I only caught two passes in this game, and he got so many carries that you know there's only so many design plays you have for Forte with Marshall and Decker also on the field. But Bilal Powell is like a cut if you drafted him in the eighth <laughs> or ninth round. I mean, so people drafted him that early in 14 teamers, thinking, "Hey, if Forte's broken, I've got a guy that's going to get a good number of carries and he's going to catch passes." The fact that they ran the ball 31 times with their backs and it was a 30 to 1 split favoring Forte to me just says that Powell's not a guy that in a 10 or a 12 team league that you you want to be stashing away right now yeah I think Forte gets a little bit too much flack when it comes to his interior running I think the offensive line does help him there and obviously this Jets line has been up and down the last few years but this is actually a good situation for him you know his his yards per carry obviously wasn't great last night it was you know three point whatever uh but the three touchdowns obviously are going to pad any any statistic there. Volume for him helped get him to 100 yards rushing, so they really didn't need to help with that stuff. But I do think it was more matchup based that he got that much uh, that much. Like you said, those those attempts last night. I think Kyrie Robinson would be the guy to to take Bilal Powell's place because he's more of a change up option to Forte. He's a guy that has had red zone success and inside the five success before with the Saints and all that. So I think that contrast actually helps Robinson a bit better because if Forte's healthy, I don't think Powell, as we saw last night, is going to really have much. To, uh, to to jump on in terms of touches there. So I think a Forte-Robinson uh, tandem would be what I would target more than the redundancy of Powell and Forte's role. So let's take a look at the Bills side of this one and, and kind of deconstruct what's happening there. The big news that they're uh, letting Greg Roman, their offensive coordinator, go. And there were some missteps in terms of uh, clock management. The moment standing out in my mind came in the fourth quarter with about seven minutes left. The Bills were just inside of Jets territory facing a fourth and one they tried the dreaded hard count and then called a timeout instead of running a play at the end of the play clock. And that that extra timeout came back to bite them at the very end of the game. They got the ball back with no timeouts remaining, only had a chance to run one uh, kind of ill-fated lateral play from inside their own territory, like deep inside their own territory, where if they'd had a timeout left, they would have had probably a minute or so left in the game when they got the ball back instead of 15 or 20 seconds. So... Uh, clock management is important to me that falls more on Rex Ryan than on Greg Roman but I think if you want to start dissecting what Greg Roman was doing well let's see Sammy Watkins was targeted five times two catches for 20 yards and most of the production through the air Tyrod Taylor was 18 of 30 for 297 three TDs and a pick two of those TDs came on 84 and 71 yard strikes to Marquise Goodwin and Greg Salas Goodwin just ran right by Darrell Revis which I, I just am not used to seeing guys do that. But then Greg Salas, who legitimately I had forgotten was in the league still, 
uh, <laughs> basically on a broken play that Tyler expended, uh, extended by getting outside the pocket, just kind of found some empty space behind all the DBs and, and Taylor hit him. But you take away those massive plays, which were definitely fluky in nature, especially the Salas one, and the numbers for Taylor don't look nearly as good. So I definitely understand the the reasoning behind making this move, but to me, the Bills' biggest problems are still on defense. They lost Shaq Lawson, they lost Reggie Raglan uh, prior to the season, and now they have an offense that's going to be in turmoil as they make a change at offensive coordinator. Anthony Lynn is going to step into that role. I mean, maybe we see a different approach with Sammy Watkins. He gets a long break before week three, which may be good for his foot, but I, I still think I'm very pessimistic about Watkins remaining healthy and being productive this year, given the problems he's having with his foot. Yeah, it's a lot of chaos on both sides of the ball. And I think, like you, I do kind of blame the the defensive side a bit more for what's kind of transpired here. I mean, but obviously Rex Ryan, Rob Ryan, who's going to be protected among the coordinators in in that situation? It's definitely going to be uh, Roman taking the fall. And, you know, a Greg Roman offense not necessarily has a lot of, uh, you know, potential for downfield passing. And if the the game pace is right, Roman's, you know, type of design isn't a friendly one. Like you said, those deep plays, people might look at that and say, oh, you know, this is – them correcting the, the week one mistakes where they really didn't cha- challenge downfield much. I think that was more so, like you said, of of the flukiness of the of the Jets secondary that's really been their biggest problem so far, and the fact that you know two guys that don't necessarily are expected to ever make a fancy impact finally do something. Um, it, there's, there's a lot to not like about yeah, like you said, Watkins's future at this point because same injury that you know Des Bryant was kind of uh, you know meandering through last year with all those struggles, and and now that they're going to have Taylor or you know, EJ Manuel, who knows what's going to go happen with the quarterbacks now, depending on system, uh, that that's going to be something where he's going to have to struggle with that. Maybe, maybe there's a case where you do have the bench walk-ins most of the time now, because there's going to be so much in flux now. And the running game is going to be interesting to me too, because Greg Roman's running game was one of the, probably the best systems in the league for that last year. They were, I believe they were at least a top 10 uh, rushing offense last year. They're, you know, McCoy is a good setup for him and the backup's not really making much of a dent in his workload. But I mean, what do you think that they're going to have to do to kind of get McCoy to that next level? I think they have to find a way to keep Sammy Watkins healthy because without Watkins, they're going to become very one dimensional. If they're one dimensional, he'll see eight men in the box very often. And with that, that's where the production and the efficiency would really fall off. Now, last night, they didn't have a running back take a carry other than LaShawn McCoy. It was Taylor running twice, E.J. Manuel running twice when Taylor briefly was uh, forced off the field by Ed Hockley due to a, a suspected concussion. I like the fact that McCoy is just the guy right now, volume-wise, but 3.9 yards per carry last night, that might be indicative of things to come. If he's going to be a steady like low-end RB1 or high-end RB2 Going forward, I think he's going to be a big contributor as a pass catcher. The opportunity is certainly there because it's Watkins, it's Charles Clay, and a cast of characters in Robert Woods, Goodwin, Greg Salas, guys that generally aren't going to be very reliable week in and week out. So I do think one possible shift is finding ways to get the ball into Shady's hands in space because he still seems to have that burst, that elusiveness necessary to make defenders miss. Yeah, I think getting uh, left tackle Cordy Glenn back healthy is going to be a huge deal for this offensive line too. That's a that's a big hole to fill. As much as you know, Cyrus is going to be you know a decent fill, and he was last night at spots. Okay, that that's a huge drop off, and that's a guy you want to get back immediately. So that's another thing that the run game would have going for moving forward. By all accounts, though, Taylor was okay. He returned to this game and ended up finishing. So don't think we have much to worry about there as we look down the road uh, to week three. But we'll see how much Buffalo can change between now and then the long week certainly easier to make a change like this in than a typical week where you'd only have uh you know three practices potentially to make those adjustments bills will get a little extra time to work in their new offensive coordinator again anthony lynn taking over former uh lee was the running backs coach and the assistant head coach so as a running backs coach you have to wonder how much maybe that steers him towards utilizing shady more as well uh, moving on from the Thursday night game, some injuries we're tracking very closely on this Friday afternoon. Russell Wilson, he should be ready to roll, in his words, for this game against the Rams uh, on Sunday. And you know, this is one of those games that has a very low over-under total. And Wilson kind of gutted it out last week and didn't play particularly well against Miami. Of course, the Rams were embarrassed on Monday night. And as I said on the Thursday pod, the most Jeff Fisher thing ever would be that the Rams not only just hang around, but somehow like find a way to win this game. And part of that narrative would include them really preying on a Russell Wilson that may not be as mobile as the Wilson we're accustomed to. 
Oh, absolutely. And obviously we've seen the Rams give them a lot of trouble in recent years in those division games. It's one of the toughest ones to predict this week. I, I do think the Rams would, you know, be with the team where you definitely want to take the points with in, in most, uh, in, in, in most uh, lines this week. Cause that defensive line I think is going to really give Wilson problems. If, if he, winds up being as flat-footed as he was early on in that game uh, in week one. Week two, he, you know, you saw he kind of had a little bit more strength in his leg as the game moved on, gutted through, got that, you know, game-winning drive and touchdown and all that. But I don't know, the, the Rams just, you know, threatened me a little bit more to have good expectations for Wilson than, than my, and Miami's front did because, you know, the Rams know how to play the Seahawks closer probably like than any other team. Um, not any other team, but, you know, pretty – select few teams that can really challenge them so Wilson's definitely a borderline fantasy start for me this week but you know if, if you're in a two QB league I think you have to it really just depends on what availability uh, what uh, alternatives you have yeah I've got a league where I can use luck Wilson and Flacco and I gotta pick two and it's like <laughs> you know Flacco gets the Browns that is pretty appealing to me even though Baltimore's not as good on the road as they are at home and I am kind of scared of that Denver defense we'll talk about that a bit later on in this episode. So yeah, Wilson's kind of in that range too, where I'm a little uneasy about it. Probably would go ahead. If I was choosing between Wilson and Luck, which is a, a, it's impossible that you have those two guys in a season long league. I think yeah. I'd rather use Wilson against the Rams hobbled than I would use Luck against Denver on the road in Denver, no less. But uh, yet again, we're tracking the status of Rob Gronkowski trying to make his way back from a hamstring injury. And I think the, the hardest thing about dealing with Rob Gronkowski right now is that the Patriots have the Thursday game in week three. So their incentive to bring him back and then have him try to play again on short rest after just three days off doesn't seem to really be there. I mean, you look at what they did last week with Jimmy Garoppolo. I thought Garoppolo played pretty well within the system, within that game plan. I think they can game plan in a way without Gronk to beat Miami at home, even if Gronk doesn't go. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is a game, even though Miami does, you know, it's another one of those division games that could get a little bit weird. But I I do think I'm with you more so in the sense that they would let Gronk take the seat this week in order to play Houston next Thursday, which I think they're going to need him more for a a, a bit more urgently than than Miami would. And maybe let Martellus Bennett obviously do what he, you know, would get that workload in his place. But yeah, Gronkowski, you know, if you don't have a backup for Gronkowski at this point, or at least have good setup plans for for this week and in that sense you're, you're kind of really uh, gambling right now but at least the Patriots this week do have a uh, one o'clock game so you have a lot of alternatives that you can choose from instead like unlike last week where it was the Sunday night game yeah I mean Brent Selleck plays Monday might be the kind of guy that can see an uptick in targets if Zach Ertz is forced to miss the game this week Ertz though I mean, we can talk about him briefly he's got a, a rib injury I believe it's a displaced rib but According to Jeff Stotts, our injury expert here at Rotowire, it's one of those injuries that sounds a little bit worse than it is. As long as there's not a related nerve problem, it's more of a matter of like pain tolerance than anything else. I just wonder if the Eagles would back off Ertz for a week because they have a guy in Brent Selleck who's a viable option as a veteran who's pretty comfortable, I think, in that offense and a guy that can come in and, if needed, you know, haul in six or seven catches for Carson Wentz. Yeah, I mean, it's not to say that Ertz is, you know, not really – the better option but like you said Selleck does have a history with the Eagles I know it's a different offense and all that stuff but you know the organization isn't scared to have Selleck in there to, to sub in situations like this he's stolen so many productive fantasy weeks especially touchdowns from Ertz last year I think that uh, you know Selleck's maybe a guy that you can look to if you're really in, in a really really deep league and you're kind of thirsty for uh, for tight end spots but it's very very risky call on fantasy to start him but it's, I think it's good for Wentz overall to have a guy like that just kind of slide in if he has to. So, you know, the Eagles' outlook this week without Ertz probably isn't going to be that much different. I'm a little uneasy about Demarius Thomas with the hip injuries, taking it day by day. Uh, a quote from the Denver Post it says, I ain't going to be feeling great, but it's getting better every day. You pray about it, keep getting treatment, and hopefully by game day, you're ready to go and nothing freaky happens, end quote. <laughs> that, I mean, in week two, not exactly what you're looking for. One possible concern would be that he might have some tearing of the labrum in his hip, and if that's the case, it's the kind of thing that maybe he could play through until the end of the season, but then he'll pop up on the injury report every week. He might see snaps limited in situations where Denver is protecting a lead. There's just a lot of potential downside. As Thomas goes, it felt like the fact that they have instability at quarterback was priced into his draft day price, so I'm not sure you're going to be able to move him and, and get everything that you paid for but at the same time 
I don't think you're completely screwed either. Like this is part of the deal and that we just didn't expect Thomas to quite be the same guy he was in the Denver offense from these previous four seasons. Right. Definitely a case where we did mark him down even before any injury status. So your expectations are lowered. Your threshold for, for what he wants to give you for what, for what you want him to give you is lowered. So yeah, it, it, it just kind of goes a you know, third, fourth, fifth round pick that you're like, all right, well, I can deal with this because it's not that as big a, a burden to replace as I thought it would be. And, you know, the, it's it's a shame because it's such a tasty matchup against Indianapolis this week. You know, it's kind of that week that I might have looked for Thomas to, you know, really get back on the page of being that elite uh, wide receiver. And, uh, you know, this this is a week where Emmanuel Sanders might face a bit more coverage and, you know, that the, the passing game might have to be a little bit more diverse. Uh, it was actually pretty diverse last week, but even more creative if Thomas can't go or or has a Watkins like, um, you know, decoy esque type of appearance or, you know, workload for that sense. So, yeah, it's it, it, the timing for this injury for his fantasy prospects, which the Colts probably might be one of the worst pass defenses going right now is uh, it's pretty sad for his owners, I'd say. Let's talk about another AFC West player, Jamal Charles. It doesn't seem like the Chiefs have any real incentive to bring him back. Spencer Ware having a monster week one, doing some things in the passing game especially that I didn't see coming. I mean, Spencer Ware caught more passes Sunday than he did while playing 11 games last season. Of course, Charles less than a year removed from his torn ACL. So, Tim, I don't have shares of Jamal Charles anywhere, but before I would use him in a season-long league, barring a really bad running back situation uh, around him on that roster, I want to see him play and kind of have a partial workload for a game before actually turning him loose because I feel like the Chiefs are going to ease him back into action whether he returns in Week 2, Week 3, or Week 4 thanks to what they've been getting from Spencer Ware in his absence. Yeah, I think Ware has proven that adding the receiving aspect to his game has been huge for his, uh, you know, stake claim on the uh, on, on the backfield there. And, and I, I'm with you. I'm not looking to start Charles unless my flex options are really, really decrepit. And I would hope that you could find someone with, you know, a, a better guarantee for 10 touches in, in a week. But, you know, I have Jamal Charles in the best ball league, so I'm not really sweating it as much. It's just, you know, if he does happen to go off, then great. I don't have to make that poor decision. But, yeah, where is – I mean, the guy in this backfield is, is where right now because Sharkandrick West is kind of – you know, fading um, in in sense of his interior running not being as good, and his, his he had six receptions last week, but really didn't do much with them. He's just kind of the change up right now, and he's what Niall Davis was, I guess, supposed to become as that that Charles uh, possible replacement. And West would be the one to lose out when Charles comes back. It would be a West, uh, sorry, it would be a Ware Charles uh, duo, uh, so to speak, if when everyone's healthy. And Charles can be productive with fifteen touches a game. If he's carrying the ball twelve times, catching three or four passes, I mean, he can be a useful option because as we've seen, he can average five yards a carry with seemingly like relative ease. And then aside from that, if he's the guy that's getting some opportunities in close, that might be enough. They might just be a really effective tandem that takes some of the burden off of Alex Smith and that passing game. Julio Jones is on the injury report yet again. That's gonna happen all the time, especially Without the probable designation, he's the guy that more often than not you're going to worry about more than you probably have to. He's always dinged up with something. Right now it seems like a minor ankle problem. I have no reservations at all about using Julio Jones in season long or in daily this week. No, me neither. Um, like like you said, it's just going to be a listing thing, and people might might go crazy over that. But it, the matchup this week is is pretty darn good for for him. And you know, we saw the Raiders be one of the weaker uh, defenses in week one against the pass and you know Matt Ryan can pull something like that you know occasionally when the matchup's really good and Jones is a guy that will take advantage of that uh, so yeah I'm, I'm not worried about him he's still a, a fantasy number one for me yeah this to me looks like a pretty good matchup I think it's one of the higher scoring games on the board over under reflects that and I think Julio Jones could be a monster against Oakland there's no reason to think otherwise uh, Brandon Marshall again I mentioned before it looked like he'd suffered a serious knee injury last night He's apparently fine, this according to head coach Todd Bowles today, so don't have any major concerns as far as Marshall's Week 3 availability goes with the Jets having played uh, last night. Uh, we found out today that T.Y. Hilton is back at practice on Friday. He has been dealing with a knee injury, so there's nothing really to worry about with him. Uh, Jonathan Stewart would be probable if probable existed, at least based on Ron Rivera's expectation. He is uh, questionable with an ankle injury, he went through a full practice on Friday. That, that, that to me, is going to be the new indicator. It's always been there. But full versus limited on Friday gives you a better idea if it's probable or questionable in terms of where exactly that new questionable label should be applied. That's always looking about the details. And, yeah, like you said, it's the confidence is going to be only uh, latent and not saying, oh, he's probable. So just more work on our end as usual. 
<laughs> Let's talk about some of the week one surprises and what we might be doing with them this week. We'll start with the studs from last week, the pleasant surprises. Uh, Andrew Luck went off last week, and you just have to wonder, with the matchup against Denver, what's the threshold for sitting him down? Like, Who are the options? Flacco, who I mentioned before, is actually available on the waiver wire in some 10- and 12-team leagues. He gets Cleveland. Uh, you could look at a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo, home against Miami, perhaps. I mean, what waiver-type quarterbacks in shallow leagues would you pick up and actually use over Luck with that matchup against the Broncos? See, all right. I think uh, if Andy Dalton's somehow still available, he should be on there. Um, like a Matthew Stafford type, even though I think he comes back a bit this week. Maybe Carson Wentz is probably the lowest I'd go. I would put Flacco over him a little bit. Uh, but, you know, trusting the rookie quarterback for the second week in a row is, is probably the lowest I would go for the sake of replacing Luck. And, um, and obviously, it's a good matchup for him anyway, so I'm not really that upset about it. But I don't want to really dig into, like, the bottom part of the t- of like six seventeen to twenty or even lower than that quarterbacks. I mean, Marcus Mariota. I'm not really comfortable with that. Russell Wilson. I guess is like you said, not even really a- an issue because they wouldn't be on the same team most of the time. And yeah, if if you're looking at Sam Bradford and all that stuff to, to replace him, I wouldn't do that. Maybe if if you somehow own Luck and Rivers, if you really did that, that could be something I might look at a little bit harder. Uh, but yeah, Luck to me, I think the volume will be there because there's not going to be a running game. Uh, but but the volume being there will depend on time of possession and how they can actually fend off that Broncos pass rush. And I'm not com- confident in the overall passing game. I have one guy I want to talk about later that's going to, I think, really stand out this week against them. But um, I don't think Luck's going to be able to, to get a, a safe footing uh, most of the time. He'll have to be throwing on the run, which he's not bad at, but... The, the, the Broncos defense is going to make him pay a lot more because they're just you know one of the better takeaway uh, units there. Now, Philip Rivers has become almost all too accustomed to playing without Keenan Allen, so maybe <laughs> they are not going to have as much trouble as I expect kind of finding their stride on that side of the ball. But I do think it could take a week or two for them to get going. I have to wonder if this is going to be a heavy Antonio Gates game. I mean, a guy that I'm not really going after in season-long leagues. At least I didn't go after him in drafts and then in DFS, I didn't use him anywhere in week one, but it just seems like when all else fails, if you're going to shift the game plan around on your way to do that, you wouldn't make a radical change over the course of a week. You'd probably go heavy with Gates week two, week three, and then if we're going to start to see a lot more, not only of Travis Benjamin, but of Tyrell Williams and Dontrell Inman, you'd start to see more of those guys a couple of weeks down the road as opposed to having one of them emerge to just take on the Keenan Allen role right away in week two. Yeah, you, you kind of have to see how that that group of people does throw each other together, and you know who who actually will have a, a legit role because you know the, it's kind of homogenous between what Williams and Inman provide to a degree. I think Benjamin's the guy that would be the one to emerge because he does have a little bit of a already established downfield presence, but obviously uh, Williams has a little bit of that uh, upside too, as we saw in Week One. So, yeah, I mean Gates is the guy that is like you said will be the safety blanket as usual, and but you know I, I think the Jaguars might be cognizant of that too so I, i'm not certain that rivers is gonna you know find a lot of room to go to gates at this point they might just uh you know shade his throws more toward the outside on defense and make him uh you know find something that actually works which you know could be could be opportunity for jacksonville to be a good defensive play this week actually let's talk about spencer Ware again i mean we were talking about the chiefs running back situation in the context of jamal charles and eventually charles getting back but even if charles plays Ware's going to be the lead back in my opinion for this week at the very least he's 6100 on DraftKings in season long, you're probably in a point where if you're using, if you used Ware last week, your running back situation is unlikely to be so much better in week two that you're pivoting away. But as far as fading options go, I mean, Spencer Ware is $6,100 on DraftKings, Tim, puts some 10th among running backs in price. And you can throw out Charles, really, because Charles shouldn't be priced ahead of him right now. So, ninth essentially of guys we expect to see on the field. Are you fading Spencer Ware at that price, or do you think he's still priced cheaply enough where he's a must-play? We kind of went through this with Todd Gurley at some point last year. Once Gurley came back from his ACL injury, it just seemed like you had to play him because the price compared to the expected volume and the possible efficiency was so cheap, it was silly to pass him up, even though the pot odds in like a GPP, for example, would kind of lead you to stay away from a player that's that heavily owned. Yeah, no, I, I think we've coming to a market correction this week. Obviously, the the big uh, uh, discount that was offered because of the gap in you know when the week one prices came out to when Ware's value just skyrocketed. That that definitely was a thing to take advantage of last week. The high ownership, whatever it was, it was a 
almost a must play. And this week, definitely less so because we, you know they had a week to correct the prices and everything like that. That's the case where the floor is not something I want to try, especially against that Houston run defense. Uh, usually the better part of them. Um, even though Brian Cushing being hurt might hurt that. Um, might, might open up some more holes there. I just do think it's going to be another high-volume Alex Smith type of week to challenge uh, Houston's pass defense in there, which could help wear, but I, I, I think I want to take my chances and have a little bit more of a profit opportunity somewhere else when it comes to uh, spending that much on a, on a uh, running back. Yeah, so that's more of like a DFS versus season-long sort of approach, and season-long I'd like to use wear pretty much every place possible. Like that's right. just, I, I, I think he's still going to get enough volume where – even in a more challenging matchup, he's still going to be very productive. Uh, Amir Abdullah and Theo Riddick really carved up the Colts last week. They get a more difficult test in Tennessee, and that Tennessee kept Adrian Peterson quiet. Do you look at Abdullah and Riddick as guys that you want to back away from a bit in season long, if, if you maybe plugged them in as RB2s, or in Riddick's case, more like a flex in the opener, and, and were heavily rewarded for it? Um, I, I actually think this might be a case where I would use Riddick a bit more because the passing game, I think, would be the better option for them. Uh, you know, Abdullah, not necessarily well, – I think Abdullah benefited even more from the Colts, uh, you know, Swiss cheese defense than Riddick did because Riddick, you know, kind of had his role that he would regardless. He ran a little bit more, but they'll – they're more apt to use him in passing downs anyway, and I think that they'll have more of that uh, this week. I think Abdul is the one to fade for me, unless you know the Riddick price might be a bit you know uh, bolstered in DFS. I'm not sure what the DraftKings price was off the top of my head, but definitely a case where I think Riddick is the one with a bit more of a of, of, a, of an attainable floor in terms of production. So I, I'd be a little bit more about using him because the game situation probably will be similar, and they'll use him in the passing game a bit more. Abdullah's the one that's going to take a backseat in those situations. Yeah, the volume last week for Amir Abdullah wasn't so good that I'm just locking him in as somebody that I feel great about every single week. There seems to be some hesitation on the part of this Lions coaching staff of making him a workhorse, probably rooted in his size. He's not a large back, so that's probably got a lot to do with it. Uh, The other big player from week one that I think is somewhat challenging for season-long and for DFS looking at this week is Willie Sneed. We saw him get used in close. That's where he got the TV from. High volume. I think he was 9 for 9 on targets. 174 yards, if I'm not mistaken. The kind of player that I do like having him on my season-long teams. I like using him a lot more as that third receiver or as a flex when the Saints are at home. The Giants, to me, are not a great pass defense, but I think they're significantly improved, as we talked about, especially in the pass rush. We know New Orleans tends to struggle more outside the dome. Even though this game has a huge over-under total, I think there are reasons to be a little bit careful with Willie Sneed if you have quality options that you're kind of looking at each and every week for that last receiver or that flex spot. I actually think the Giants' defense could be one of the more improved ones by season's end. I think they could be almost an every-week starter type of level. They've gotten a lot of good personnel guys coming into this year. You know, getting Janoris Jenkins and Olivier Vernon, those are some good playmakers. And, you know, up front, they're probably going to give Breeze a little bit more trouble than Oakland did, I would say, because, you know, that, that line... Even with Jason Pierre-Paul, you know, giving us the, um, you know, the, the different hand signals he's been giving lately uh, since <laughs> last year, um, that that's a good line. That's you know going to be a little bit more pressure filled than people think. And the Giants at home, like you said, Saints on the road. I, I think Snead's a guy where you do want to just keep flex expectations for this week, not necessarily wide receiver two expectations, because uh, you know the, the Breeze will find ways to move the ball if the if the work is not there for Snead. He'll probably you know Cooks is the one he's probably going to go to most, and he'll kind of divvy it up from there to see what, what's actually open and who's actually open. So Snead's a guy that I think that he's not going to be that good every week, obviously. So it's natural regression anyway. But yeah, I think it could be burned if you pay a lot for Snead this week. At the other end of the spectrum, we had some disappointing key players in Week 1, and Todd Gurley was high on that list. San Francisco's run defense, perhaps better than we were giving them credit for going into the year. But in my mind, nothing has changed about the Rams' offense from last year. Like This is the same setup he dealt with last season as a rookie coming in off an ACL tear, and Todd Gurley averaged 4.8 yards per carry. Do you see a lot of rebound potential in him, not only this week, but of course beyond? I mean, because last season... In his only matchup against Seattle, he was actually pretty effective. It was 80 yards and a score, I think, on 18 carries, something thereabouts for the final line. I think if you trusted Todd Gurley enough to take him in the middle or late part of round one of your draft, you should still be using him in week two, even though he was so disappointing against San Francisco on Monday night. Oh, absolutely. Season long, you have to keep riding with them. And as you said, last year, they, they had he had some success against Seattle. He was ma- managed to break off a few big runs uh, against them. And, you know, he, that's the kind of guy he is. He's a very streaky back. He 
A lot of the time, he either runs to the line or he happens to have one huge breakoff run, and that really kind of saves his fantasy line for the day. He's a very you know, up-and-down, inconsistent type of runner. That's The yards per carry definitely has – you have to read a little bit into that to see what kind of day he actually had in terms of you know the shorts and the longs of what he had. And I'm not going to use him in DFS because he's still the second um, most expensive running back on DraftKings at 7500 I'm not going to touch that price because, once again, that's, a, that's too high a fl- uh, baseline for me to meet with that. But, you know, Gurley, if he can give you, you know – 15 to 20 carries i think they'll probably want to push him even more towards 30 just to kind of uh you know keep the ball out of seattle's hands so yeah the volume wise he'll be there um i i do expect him to have a little bit better yards per carry this week even against seattle because i do think the rams do know how to uh combat that uh seattle seahawks front yeah that's that's the the thing for me is that the rams are going to find a way to they get a lot of pressure on russell wilson they're going to keep the game close and as long as they keep it close Gurley's going to get his volume so you're right about the DFS implication. He's a contrarian play in a GPP for sure. I mean, you want to have a home run option that very few people are going to go after because of the price. Gurley might make sense strategically that way, but as far as like cash games and such, you don't want to go with Gurley uh, this week at that price in that matchup because even if you believe in him, it's not a great setup for any player despite the fact that he's had moderate success in his first meeting against them. Adrian Peterson bottled up by the Titans last week. It's the Packers. This week, Vikings opening a new stadium. The Packers shutting down TJ Yeldon, as I said yesterday, to me is not indicative of a good run defense. That's just TJ Yeldon being TJ Yeldon. What's the line on Peterson like this week, Tim? Are we thinking 20 carries, 90 yards, and a TD? Yeah, he, I think he'll average close to five yards per carry. To be honest with you, uh, you know the Packers, as as, um, as you obviously know, they do they run such some weird, you know, the, the, their defensive formations are often susceptible to the run because they do play often very light on the inside, and I think that Peterson's obviously in, in position to take great advantage of that. And you know, I, I think um, hopefully, regardless of what quarterback they're going to have, I think the Packers could actually be a good. Uh, play in fantasy defensively for the sacks and takeaway possibilities, but for the Adrian Peterson uh, ability to stop, I think they don't have a great shot to do that. And I think Peterson rebounds in a big way this week against them. Probably the most frustrating player of week one because of the usage. Des Bryant, he did drop a TD pass that was initially ruled a catch and overturned on review, of course. But the fact that he wasn't targeted more last week, it's among one of the most baffling coaching decisions of week one I mean I know you've got an experienced quarterback in Dak Prescott but if you're gonna let him play and you're gonna let him throw it more than 40 times which they had to because that game they had to run a lot of plays how do you not key in on your best receiver more than they did last week yeah, I mean, me being a Dallas Cowboys fan, and feel free to kick me off the podcast for, for revealing that secret to you. Uh, you know, this is part of the hiring process you guys didn't uh, find with me, I guess. I snuck <laughs> that one through. Um, yeah, it's frustrating because, you know, the Cowboys dealing with all the backup quarterbacks they've had to deal with in Tony Romo's injury era, I guess you could say. Um, you know, they've always been so conservative with them, and none, none, of, them, none of them have had the upside of a, as a passer or as a playmaker than Dak Prescott has, and I think they really kind of learned a lesson this past week, hopefully that you know not challenging downfield much with him or not letting him extend plays too much um maybe that's a case where they kind of realize the error of their ways and do say all right look des wants the ball you know it, it depends on what side of the field josh norman's on <laughs> i mean that's that's a whole other uh whole other degree to this uh, angle that i'm just kind of baffled at why they didn't have norman on antonio brown the entire game um on on monday night but that's something that you know is washington going to adjust that within a week uh it's very interesting to say we actually talked last week about how that's one of the most interesting fantasy implications of the season is the josh norman integration into washington's defense and they weren't getting enough pressure on roethlisberger where their coverage could really do anything i mean they they weren't even close to containing brown at all so until they prove capable of getting pressure on opposing passers they're a defense i'm going to pick on they have to prove to me that they can do enough to make Josh Norman as effective as he was last season in Carolina. I'm not just going to look at him and say, he's last year's Josh Norman again. I have to see it happen for at least a week, perhaps two, before I really start to change my plans with receivers going up against him. I think Dez gets at least eight targets this week. It'd be crazy for the Cowboys to throw it as much as they did, even to throw it 30 times and not throw it in Dez's direction at least eight. Double digits makes a lot of sense, too. I think they're going to be a little more willing to let Dak make mistakes in this game. I think that was part of the game plan last week is they wanted to go ultra-conservative, take the pressure off Dak. We saw a ton of Ezekiel Elliott. I think we're going to see a lot of Elliott again this week, Tim, Mm -hmm. but I think we're going to see Ezekiel Elliott just go off. We'll talk about him as a possible running back target in just a little while. Uh, Devontae Freeman 
very disappointing in week one. Tevin Coleman, very efficient as a pass catcher. Uh, the more efficient of the two backs in his limited carries as well. If you're a Devontae Freeman owner, I assume you're still starting him in season long, but what are you doing in DFS? Do you make a lineup with him in it just to see if last week was a fluke? Yeah, the DFS is, is kind of a big question. I'm definitely much more bullish on starting him in, in a season long because you know he's a, he's your guy, kind of like Todd Gurley. You kind of have to see what develops this week if unless your running game somehow got miraculously better over the last week. I, I think that the the Raiders being what they are, I think it's you know we talked about how it's a good for Julio Jones too. I still think it's also good for Freeman to kind of reestablish things because you know we saw them be a little bit more vulnerable against uh, you know Traveris Cadet in a couple plays last week. The the pass catching running back. I still think the the Falcons do want to establish Freeman as that guy, even if he's gives up a lot of the you know um, between the tackles work to Tevin Coleman. Or they're gonna be on the I think they're gonna be on the field actually at the same time a lot. And I think Freeman being the better, more established pass catcher has the advantage in this case. DFS sixty one hundred on DraftKings, same price as Spencer Ware. I, I do think that my expectations for Freeman fall below that, but maybe it's a better contrarian play because people might be burned from last week for him. So I could see Freeman more than Gurley in a DFS for me as a uh, against the grain type of play. I feel like I should enter like a one or two dollar tournament every week with the most contrarian lineup possible where I, the guys are in good matchups or sometimes they're not, but you're just kind of going after the high talent players that'll let everybody down. Like last week's bums as a, as a lineup might be mm. an interesting tournament strategy. I, I don't know if you could actually make money on it, but I feel like if you're going to hit in a big GPP going very low owned with those high talent guys, sure. Why not? That could be a path uh, to doing very well. You're staring at your weekly fantasy opponent. and You're thinking to yourself, I would love to challenge just one of his players, not his entire team, but your fantasy sports service doesn't allow you to do that. Now you can on the all-new No Halftime app. The No Halftime app allows you to create individual challenges using players or teams. For example, you can pit Odell Beckham versus Antonio Brown, Cam Newton versus Aaron Rodgers, or even Ezekiel Elliott versus Todd Gurley. Creating a challenge takes seconds, and accepting challenges is even easier. No Halftime challenges can be private or public and created for the NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL, PGA, and other sports. Visit NoHalftime.com for more information and to download the No Halftime app. For your iPhone or Android device, use the promo code ROTOFF16 and receive a 100% bonus up to $25. Real money and fantasy supremacy awaits you no halftime where the fantasy sports season never takes a break. Join today and get started. All right, let's talk about a few other sit-start situations that are difficult. I mean, Wilson against the Rams is kind of like luck against Denver, but I, I think I want to sit really the entire indie offense where possible. We were getting some Dante Moncrief questions on the Sirius XM show today. And, you know, if I'm looking at like Michael Floyd versus Dante Moncrief for my last receiver spot or something like that, I'm going Floyd over Moncrief. I mean, I think Moncrief takes a really big hit this week. Hilton takes a hit, Tim, in my eyes, but not enough to where he sits down in most leagues because Hilton doesn't need to be a high volume player to be productive. I think he can just hit on a couple big plays, catch four or five passes, but if he breaks one for 40 yards, then the day doesn't look that bad. So for me, Hilton's less of a, of a matchup liability this week against that Broncos defense. See, I don't know. I'm kind of thinking the opposite there. I mean, yeah, Hilton's a guy that you're going you're, you're gonna to throw in there regardless because he does have that big play. I don't know. Watching the Broncos last week up against a tall receiver like Kelvin Benjamin, um, you know, kind of work them a little bit in the red zone. I think Moncrief is going to have a very similar uh, outing this week. I th- I could see Moncrief getting five or six catches and a touchdown uh, for sure. Uh, like, but like I said, I think the whole, the, the entirety of the Colts offense is going to be, you know, underwhelming for sure. I, I mean, I, I, Moncrief, I think I'll, 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 I'll give a, a little bit of weight. We're talking about later is a good contrarian play. I think in a lot of leagues because people won't be looking at that Colts offense as much. Uh, but I don't know the, the physical matchup. I think Moncrief gives them a little bit more trouble than, than Hilton does. And maybe they'll, they'll cap Hilton uh, maybe with a bracket coverage over the top or something Moncrief left with more one-on-one type of situations tough 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 secondary for sure but Moncrief kind of stands out to me yeah I I just I'm I'm trying to avoid Indy entirely though that's my main takeaway (laughs) if if I have to make a tough decision I will and you can always tweet at us I'm at Derek Van Riper he's at Tim underscore Heaney can tweet at us at Rotowire as well and try to get two questions uh, as we get close to kickoff on Sunday morning I I just I don't I, I don't trust the Colts' offensive line against the premier defense. I think that's where they could really run into some troubles up front. Denver might have their way with the Indy offensive line. Let's talk about some players that we like on DraftKings for this week, though. And we'll start at the quarterback position, as we probably will most weeks when we're breaking down the DFS aspect of the slate. 
Eli Manning for me in cash games is fine. You know, Eli Cash, of course, one of my favorite characters from uh, the Royal Tenenbaums. Seventy six hundred dollars cheaper than Drew Brees, and I think if you're looking at Brees versus Eli Manning this week, there's not a six hundred dollar difference for me in terms of expected output between those two guys in that matchup. No, absolutely not, and obviously Eli being at home is going to help big time with that, and that Saints defense is just, you know, pretty terrible. Uh, so, and I think Delvin Bros hurt right so that's another huge knock to that already weak secondary yeah Eli for me I think you kind of have to roll with him he's going to be heavily owned but like you said in cash games just go with you know go with the money with that I'm okay with Cam at 7,900 he didn't make it as one of my top options but I think if the Carolina Panthers blow out the Niners it's because Cam Newton uh, has a great game I mean he's just the focal point of that offense it's either you know rushing TD a couple passing TDs whatever it might be seems fine after the concussion threats that seem to be lingering uh, as a result of those shots to the head a week ago. Uh, but I just don't want to pay 7900 for a quarterback this week because I want to save money for other positions. And if you want to go cheaper at quarterback, there's two more options I really like. The first is Blake Bortles at 6700 going up against San Diego. Uh, we saw Allen Robinson get 15 targets last week, so I expect more of the same from Bortles. He was a little bit off against that Packers defense, but I think San Diego's a little softer on that side of the ball. And then Marcus Mariota. At 6,000 against the Lions. I think I'm higher on Mariota than you are, but this is more about the Lions' defense being pretty inept. They let Andrew Luck and company really throw all over him. I think Mariota can take advantage of this matchup, and at 6,000, I really like him as a GPP option. Yeah, I think obviously the Titans passing game that I've, we mentioned on this show, I think it's it's great for Mariota to have that many diverse options. You don't want to pick one of those guys to have a big week, even though Tajay Sharp is kind of emerging as that leader. I do would rather have the quarterback in that situation than have to, you know, di- dissect which guy's going to have the better game. So, yeah, six thousand for Mariota is a pretty good deal. Now you got Philip Rivers as a player listed. You like quarterback mm-hmm. this week, and maybe what I was saying before, like they they've dealt with the absence of Keenan Allen before, so it's not going to be the moon to Philip Rivers to go out there in week two and not have his favorite target at his disposal. The game plan last week seemed to fall apart when Allen left, but they've had a week to digest his absence Mm -hmm. and to make some adjustments. Maybe Tyrell Williams and Travis Benjamin and Dontrell Inman can step up and really help to uh, kind of paper over the absence of Allen. Not no one of those guys is going to replace him from a volume standpoint. At least it would be highly unlikely for that to happen. We mentioned Gates maybe being safer this week. I mean, What's the appeal with Rivers? Do you see a shootout in that Jacksonville-San Diego game? Uh, I, I think that Jacksonville, you know, being a little bit better against the run than they are against the pass, I think is, is a part that, part of that for me. And, you know, Danny Woodhead, who we haven't even really mentioned, is, uh, you know, the guy that I think obviously benefits from Allen uh, leaving as well. And he's obviously the, the guy that kind of already has his established role with that. I did say the Jaguars could be a contrarian defensive play before, but I still think Rivers is going to get at least 250 and two. Uh, and like you said, Gates being there is to kind of be that transitional guy is going to uh, help them along the way. And, you know, Allen is a huge weapon to miss, but they're used to it. So yeah, they all, all too familiar with that. As far as like cheaper GPP options, uh, what do you think about Trevor Simeon going up against the Colts? And do you have interest in Carson Wentz against the bears? Well, I think Wentz is going to be heavily owned because of last week and his price is still pretty darn good. Um, Simeon at 5,200 is, is a pretty good one. Um, you know, I want to see what Demarius Thomas' status is for that to to really take hold. You know, the more I've been thinking about it, even since we m- made up our outline, I have been really kind of thinking Josh McCown at five thousand dollars is actually not a bad option to go in the case of you know big tournament play, just because I think McCown doesn't get enough credit for what he's done as a backup coming in to start over recent years. I think he's one of the best backups in the league, to be honest with you. And to to be the, the guy that you know Hugh Jackson could you know work with for the next two months. He's done it before in a great offense, uh, McCown with the Bears, obviously having two great targets, not better targets than he has now. But there's a lot to like, I think, about McCown's downfield potential. I think Jackson can work, work with that a little bit. And his $5,000, I believe, is his price. Maybe maybe a little bit less than that. Let me just double check one second. Yeah, $5,000 as a quarterback. And, you know, the, the Browns play the Ravens tough a lot, and they're the home team. So that's a case where I think they can work in a lot of their weapons against Baltimore, kind of confuse them a bit. McCown's actually gotten over on the Ravens a bit in the last few years. So, you know, that's a guy I, I might even recommend him more strongly than Simeon at that price. Yeah, McCallan, I think the attempts could be there. I mean, uh, the Ravens' defense slowing Buffalo last week, not necessarily indicative that it's a good unit. I think this could be a higher-scoring game than some are expecting. And if you went McCallan at 5,000, you could pair him up with Barnage at 4,000. If you wanted to get the trifecta, you could go Corey Coleman at 4,700. And the reason... You'd consider that as on the off chance that 
McCollin hits for like three TDs in this game, which isn't the craziest thought in the world. It's not something that's likely to happen, but it's certainly not like impossible. Coleman and Barnage are so likely to be the two guys that haul those in for me. Like Barnage and McCowan had that strong rapport last year, so I really like Barnage as a bounce back candidate at four thousand. Do you think you'd want to pair one or two of those Browns pass catchers with McCowan if you're going to take the plunge at him anyway? Because if you think he's going to be good enough to be useful at five thousand, you have to think he's doing something, and that tree it might actually be a little more consolidated than in years past until Josh Gordon returns. Oh, absolutely. And I, you do have to pair the quarterback with someone that that's kind of, I, I do feel like I have to stack the quarterback with somebody regardless of what, which one you're choosing. I think just, you, you, you need that multiplier effect with that. And, you know, McCown being with, with Barnage would, would be the, probably the most logical one. Maybe, you know, Duke Johnson gets involved as well, but you don't want to obviously put those two together in the same lineup. But I think that's just good for McCown's overall, um, overall approach and overall outlook for the week. And yeah, McCown's a guy that I think will surprise this week. So for me, there are three chalky running backs, and they're priced up reasonably high with one exception. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott is 7300 on DraftKings. He's the third most expensive back behind David Johnson and Todd Gurley. I mean, I look at what D'Angelo Williams did to that defense on Monday night. Zeke's going to run wild, I think, against Washington. Uh, then C.J. Anderson is probably the chalkiest back of all on DraftKings. 6800 going up against the Colts front that was obliterated by Amir Abdullah and Theo Riddick of all backs. So this just seems like a golden setup for Anderson in a case where, unlike Spencer Ware, I don't think I can pivot away from C.J. Anderson where I have the funds to afford him at 6800 Yeah, see, that's kind of what's giving me pause on the Broncos' idea of having Trevor Simeon against that really bad pass defense is the fact that you know Anderson just looks like money right now because the Colts are just one of the worst against the, the running game. And I liked what you guys did on SiriusXM, calling him the Ralph Wiggum chalk play of, of the week, right? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think that's pretty. Uh, that's that's pretty the best sad. way to phrase it, right? Like anyone can spot that as just a, a good play, and it, it, you just feel so confident in it because the Colts aren't going to become a good run defense overnight. And I thought if if Denver would struggle to run it against anybody, it'd be a team like Carolina, which is pretty good defense. And they still kind of had their way in the trenches, opened up enough holes where Anderson could just make that cut and get into open space. I think we're going to see a lot more of that in this matchup uh, against the Colts. The other player I was thinking about, if you're not going to use Marcus Mariota as a quarterback, I kind of like DeMarco Murray at 5,700 against the Lions. The Titans-Lions game, I think it's going to be plenty of offense uh, going both ways. I mean, even, even Frank Gore didn't look that bad against the Lions last week. And DeMarco Murray as a pass catcher especially was very intriguing to me in week one. Oh, absolutely. I mean, in, in those situations, Murray's going to be on the field a lot more. But, you know, the, the, the thought crossed your mind about the, the Lions, you know, being a little bit stronger against the run, Derrick Henry trying to run over guys like that would be very interesting. But I, I think I'm with you with having Murray at that. He's only 5,700. That's that's a pretty good discount for the for the main back, for the guy that's going to be in there for the passing downs. That probably will happen a lot against the Lions. So yeah, Murray's a guy of that backfield I still want. And you know he's he's establishing that he's the main guy, and Henry's kind of just the change up and you know take the burden off him type of uh, alternate. So I think as far as the high-end guys, we're in agreement on Zeke and, and probably C.J. Anderson. But then if you go a little cheaper at running back, maybe you're looking for that flex spot on DraftKings. Uh, you've got Latavius Murray as a player you like at 5,700. Uh, what's the thought process behind Murray? Is it just that you still see him as being the guy that's the main back in Oakland and one that's going to pile up a good number of touches against a reasonably soft defense? Yeah, reasonably soft. They were a, a top five uh, fantasy matchup for running backs last year, and that they really haven't done much to change that. Uh, that that's still whatever formation they're in. That's still a very soft defense against the run. And you know, the Saints really didn't have that much matchup play last week. I think the, the Raiders will have a little bit more to do with the run because I think Murray is the number one, and you know, the backups are kind of where the the weirdness lies in Oakland. Is you know, J- Jalen Richard or or uh, DeAndre Washington, who really didn't get much action in Week One. I think that's more of the battle than any of them taking over for Murray right now. Murray, probably not going to have a great you know PPR line, but I think he probably goes 60, 70 yards and a touchdown. I think as a flex play at, at 5,700, that's a, it's a pretty solid game to have for, for a, a third running back or you know second running back, whichever one you want there. I think the Falcons, um, like you said, high-scoring game all around. I think Murray's going to get a little bit of a piece of his. Now going down a bit lower, Gio Bernard, 4,200, only touched the ball seven times in the opener last week against the Jets. I expect the Bengals-Steelers game to be very tight. With the full-point PPR scoring on DraftKings, Gio's always in play when his price is down. 4200 seems like a steal for a guy that has a pretty clearly defined role in the Cincinnati offense. It seemed like game flow last week was a bit unusual for the Bengals. 
in part because A.J. Green had that long TD catch against Revis, too. I think that really took away a few opportunities for both Hill and Giovanni Bernard. Yeah, I mean, the Hill-Bernard game weekly, it's not one you always want to play, but you do kind of have to guess how you think the game is going to go. I mean, Bernard had five yards per carry. Last week, sadly, he only had five carries. You know, very surprising that he didn't have more of a role against the Jets because you'd think that they would probably go with more pass-catching backs against a defense like that. But, you know, against the Steelers last year, Bernard didn't really uh, do all that much. I expect that to change this week with a new offensive coordinator in town. And, you know, I think it will be a case where it's going to be a better matchup for him. I think Hill will be, you know, pushed to the side a bit in, in, ter- in, in terms of the uh, Bengals getting a little bit more out of their receiving back. So, yeah, I mean, at 4,200 especially, there's, there's a lot of, of room for him to uh, exceed expectations. Now, you also flagged LeGarrette Blunt as an option <laughs> at 4,000. Not a PPR machine, but without Tom Brady, as we saw in Arizona last week, 22 carries for Blunt. It just seems like 15 is the floor. 20 doesn't seem like a stretch. And if they're protecting a lead, he might get as many as 25 carries this week. Yeah, it's, it's another prediction of the Patriots kind of running away with things a little bit. I mean, James White is the guy you do want in PPR, but I could see a second half heavy of Blunt if it's, if it's uh, you know, a, a first half lead that's almost insurmountable for a Dolphins uh, offense that's really still trying to find itself. So it, it's, it's a coin flip for that, but, you know, Blunt's the one, I think, with the red zone experience that could give you a little bit more upside. So I'm going to go with the guy that's going to get the, uh, the inside the five carries more often. For me, I was looking at receivers and things that really kind of caught my eyes. Once you moved past the very top options, I mean, Antonio Brown is $9,900 this week <laughs> on DraftKings. Uh, Odell Beckham's 9500 against the Saints. Julio's 9200 against Atlanta. If you maybe pick one of the big three this week, I would just take Julio because he's the cheapest. It's really the, the logic there because I don't think Oakland's good at defending the pass. But once you move past the $8,000 receivers, and there are seven of them on the board, Allen Robinson is 7,800. We talked about Bortles before. A Bortles-Robinson duo is great. If you don't want to use Bortles, you know Robinson's going to be heavily targeted. To me, San Diego's going to be reeling. I don't put Jason Verrett on him if you want. It doesn't matter. Allen Robinson is just a beast. This is going to be a great spot for him. I like the fact that he's not priced up You know, with the likes of A.J. Green and DeAndre Hopkins this week. He's about $1,000 cheaper than those guys. Yeah, uh, it's funny how the the one week can do that. I mean, he had 15 targets last week, Robinson. He's you know one of the sure bets to get double digit targets every week. And obviously, there's a situation where Jacksonville is going to have to throw a lot, and it's still going to be one on the road. I think that they'll have to throw a lot. So yeah, that's definitely a a good one to have there uh, as your top guy. And like you said, it kind of it lets you spend up for the running backs a bit more that we talked about as well. I'm thinking about Amari Cooper at 7600, and even Mike Evans and GPPs again at 7200. I know the Arizona pass defense is very good. But Mike Evans is a player that teams just can't match up with. And anything they're able to do through the air, it seems like, would go directly through Mike Evans. Oh, yeah, I think so. Everything else is kind of too much up in the air with that sense. And, you know, I I love my uh, J- Jameis Winston and Mike Evans stacks. And, I mean, you don't want to rely on a four-touchdown week from Winston again. Uh, but, you know, Tampa Bay against Arizona, they're going to have to throw a lot against that defense on the road, too. So, yeah, Evans, another, another one of those, you know, underpriced ace-type wide receivers. I guess he's borrowing a term from baseball, the, the, the sub-ace-type tier there. Uh, definitely good ones to pick from. I'm going to add Stephon Diggs to the mix for a cheap receiver. Sam Shield dealing with a concussion. Might not play in this Mm -hmm. game Sunday night. That bodes very well for Diggs at 5,100. But then Travis Benjamin at 4,400. The question is, do you just fade him because you think everybody's going to have him? Or do you (laughs) go ahead and just take that at that price? Because even though he wasn't efficient last week, he was heavily targeted by Phillip Rivers. No, definitely. I mean, the big the big play wide out like that with a, a role that's going to be probably ballooning forty four hundred. I think you still have to roll with it as as, you, as your number three wide out and just kind of build up elsewhere. And yeah, it, it's a case where he's uh, the the more set role. It's going to be uh, for the bang for your buck. There is pretty good. Looking at the tight end position, I I really like Jordan Reed quite a bit this week. I mean, I I want to I want to go ahead and pay up for him where I can at sixty eight hundred. But if I can't. Delaney Walker at 4,500 is right there with Gary Barnage at 4,000 is the two tight ends I'd be building most of my lineups around. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, Walker being the the other uh, set option for Mariota there. I, you know, I'm going to go with my my Colts uh, contrarianism here. Dwayne Allen at 3,600 is kind of a guy that really stands out to me against uh, against Denver, who, you know, did let Greg Olson do a little bit of damage against them last week. They kind of let them settle for those, you know, seams, you know, routes uh, in the middle of the field for about 15 to 20 yards. So that, that's a case where I think Allen would run really well. And if you want to go to the flip side of that matchup, you can go, you know, with with uh, if Demarius Thomas especially is hurt, then you go Virgil Green, Green for 20. 
2800 who dominated as the as the starting tight end last week you know he, there was no question of who was the top guy and at least offensively, I think Green is obviously the one to pick from from there. And the Colts, uh, you know, being as weak as they are on defense, that that's that price of twenty eight hundred is really a uh, one that could really pay off. The funny thing about the Colts is that, for as much fear as there is about the Denver defense, and I, I'm certainly one of the people that holds some of that, you're just not getting that much of a discount on Andrew Luck. Like, we didn't really talk about mm-hmm. him as far as where his price was. He's seventy seven hundred. There's only three quarterbacks more expensive than Andrew Luck this week. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not touching that. <laughs> I'd rather get the underpriced uh, skill players than I would devote my quarterback money to someone with that much of a downside. See, I think for me, Allen's the guy that makes the most sense if you're going to invest because the price is extremely low. The position's kind of thin. If the pocket's collapsing, he's going to have to make shorter, intermediate throws, and Allen's going to be that guy underneath who might actually be open. And if they get out of the red zone, too, he's got a pretty good uh, red zone matchup against most linebackers. So I, I do... Do think there's a lot to like with Allen if you want to go cheaper at the tight end spot this week, but maybe I'm I'm buying too much into Gary Barnage. Like that's part of the problem. I think I think when it's all said and done, Tim, if I had five lineups, it'd probably be four Delaney Walker and one Gary Barnage, unless I had an excess of cash left over. In which case, some of those Walker lineups would become Jordan Reed lineups. Uh, let's close the book on this week by looking at the defensive options. Uh, you take a look at the pricing. The Panthers are expensive, 3900 against San Francisco. I don't hate it, though. Blaine Gabbert was brutally inefficient in that game against the Rams, even though San Francisco won 28 nothing. So maybe there's a strong case to be made for just paying up the premium for Carolina this week. Yeah, and, you know, cross-country trip also going into Carolina. I don't see Gabbert really being uh, any, anyone that I'd want to run my offense um that week for sure and yeah it's the home field advantage for carolina would work in that case so i think i'd rather pay up for them more than i would for seattle to be honest with you against the rams because you know once again the trickiness there that kind of throws a wrench in my plans and yeah carolina is not a bad one because you know the, the difference in defensive pricing obviously doesn't make you nervous to really go for the top guy most weeks it's you know in this case it could be over three thousand for most of the actual decent ones anyway so i i, I could i could see splurging for for carolina a little bit I kind of like New England's defense at 3,000 home against Miami. I think they can shut down Ryan Tannehill and company mm-hmm. in this one. It seems like the hoodie wants some revenge after that Week 17 loss to Miami a year ago. Well, we know he likes his revenge games, so Venge- totally makes Vengeful sense. hoodie is one of my favorites. I mean, <laughs> po- like angry post-game presser broken microphone hoodie is also pretty high up on that list. Uh, you mentioned the possibility. I mean, we talked about Demarius Thomas and the hip injury and you know Virgil Green being kind of a, a down price list option at tight end. Uh, we didn't talk about him in the receivers, but Emmanuel Sanders is a guy that you really like at mm-hmm. 6000 because you know if, if you're not using uh, C.J. Anderson, you, you want to get a share of Denver going up against the Colts. Emmanuel Sanders in full-point PPR, to me, seems a lot safer right now than Demarius Thomas does, even if Thomas is on the field. Yeah, absolutely. That was one guy I did forget to mention. And the target load for him would just be crazy, I think, in that situation. I don't think there's any other Broncos receiver that, you know, could could manage that much of a workload. And I don't think the Colts are good enough to stop him in double coverage either. So, you know, Sanders is 6,000. If you want to go against the chalky pick of the week and, and use a Bronco, I think Sanders is, is the one. Even with Thomas Healthy, I think Sanders is going to be the guy to, to take most of that, especially if they go downfield against them. I'll second that, though, in the non-C.J. Anderson lineups. I don't want to yeah, go overboard right. with multiple Broncos in my lineup because I don't know if the scoring output's going to be enough where you want to have two guys in there. Maybe in cash you could do it, but certainly not in GPPs. That's going to wrap things up for today's episode of the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast, sponsored by NoHalftime.com. As I mentioned before, you can find Tim on Twitter at Tim underscore Heaney. I'm at Derek Van Riper. The site, Rotowire, at Rotowire. Get a free 10-day trial at rotowire.com slash pod. Good luck in week two, Tim. Have a great birthday weekend. Have fun while you're out tonight. We'll look forward to talking to you next Friday. Thanks, my friend. Looking forward to it. All right. Have a great weekend, everybody. Nick and I are back with you on Monday. with the helpful hardware folks.
At Ace, your backyard's right in our backyard, which means we have hand-picked products that are right for the birds in your neighborhood, like premium bird seed, suet, birdhouses, and feeders. Stop by your local Ace and get everything you need to attract the birds you want, including Ace Wild Bird Food, on sale now. Now through Tuesday only, when you buy two 20-pound bags of wild bird food, get a third bag free, only at Ace, the helpful place. Offer valid through February 28th at participating stores. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.